Welcome to the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. I'm joined by my colleagues John Easton and Adam Belmar. We are here on a beautiful winter's day, nice and sunshine. Uh, the March for Life is going on outside, and it's always great to see those folks come into Washington, although they do screw up traffic. Um, theory one, stormy weather. No, we're not going to talk about that. Can we please? <laughs> Instead, we're going to talk about the storm of partisanship that has threatened to shut the government down. Usually, it's the House of Representatives that causes all the problems. That was the case when I worked for the leader, uh, Tom DeLay, the whip Tom DeLay, and the speaker, Newt Gingrich, in the mid-90s when we shut the government down, trying to enforce Bill Clinton to sign our welfare bill. And that was also the case in 2015 when the Tea Party shut the government down in order to repeal Obamacare, a strategy that was very flawed and failed miserably. But this time, it's Senate Democrats that are threatening to shut the government down because there hasn't been sufficient progress on an immigration reform package, more specifically a deal to deal with DACA. Here's my theory. Democrats are going to lose this fight, and they will quickly cave. Uh, we have had some late-breaking news that Senator Schumer has been uh, beckoned beckoned to come down to the White House. Uh, John Easton, do you think that the Senate Democrats will cave, or do you think they will have a government shutdown over the weekend? Well, I, first, a, a note about uh, your, your subhead here, Stormy. <laughs> uh, I, I just when when I hear that word, I, I just think of one thing, and and it's the great Carlos Santana song from 1978 from his album Inner Secrets, Stormy. Uh, you don't think of Dark and Stormy, the drink? Oh, the drink. Yeah. That's probably not. <laughs> uh, but great song. If you hadn't heard, heard it for a while, or never, Google it. Uh, it's fantastic. It actually, made, it only made it up to number 32 on the billboards, but boy, it is a smooth and silky song. Thank you, Casey Casey. Okay, all right. Awesome. Now, Maybe, uh, you know, if we can get a soundtrack going. <laughs> I was just thinking I could post it in, but we're live right now. <laughs> if you can't tell, I am a Santana fan. But uh, uh, the, the shutdown, potential shutdown, it is what the Senate has become. I think that uh, this looming shutdown, if you watch cable news, if you, you read the newspaper, you see these headlines now. Constantly. I mean, it's it's at the end of the fiscal year, almost every single year. September 30th, of course, is when the end of the fiscal year, you got you got to have funding for the new year, and we're headed for a shutdown. And then it, there's usually a short-term extension till Christmas, and then we're headed for another shutdown. And now we're headed for this uh, today, the end of the day at midnight. This is January 19th. We're headed for a shutdown. So. I, I just think that it has become um, – the Senate, of course, is a 51-49 margin. Uh, but that's not the only reason. I just – I feel like that uh, the, the partisanship, uh, the toxicity of our politics has, has become such and the demands of, from the respective bases of each party have, have, have become so tough and brutal that uh, this has become acceptable. And it's actually – having been in the Senate before when a shutdown occurred – for I believe uh, ten days, maybe uh, it was back in like 2013. Uh, it was depressing and it was awful. Uh, these furloughs, or even the the uh, specter of a furlough, is just really a a, a tough situation. So, uh, well, I, think about all those troops that are wondering if they're going to get paid. Everybody, uh, and and it's um, 
it's nothing to play around with. Uh, yes, I know it's it's something you can hold hostage and, and try to get your way. But it's funny, I, you know, Adam and I were watching a little bit of the Bob Dole got the the, the medal, uh, the congressional medal, this week, yep. and uh, it was really you, you looked at him and you you remember a time when this really wasn't a tool. Um, and I'm not saying that Bob Dole and George Mitchell Mitchell got along really well because I think they were at each other a lot, but they knew how to do a deal, and the environment was such that you could do a deal. We're not in that environment anymore. Although I do remember specifically. <laughs> When Bob Dole would sit in those leadership meetings in the mid-90s, extremely unhappy with Newt Gingrich because Newt was like, we're cut, shutting the government down. And Tom DeLay, who was my boss, we're shutting the government down. Bob Dole did not want to do that, but he was forced to for a while. Then after about two weeks, he said, all right, enough of this bullshit. We're going to open the, the, open the government up again. And then all the House guys were pissed, but they had to follow along. So Bob Dole did show some leadership. A great guy. Adam. Do people care if the government shuts down, or at what point do they care if the government shuts down? The politics of this is not known at this moment. I think that people around the country definitely care about this in the sense that they have a really good nose for dysfunction. They don't like it, but... I think that uh, what we're what we're seeing, even as we sit here and we expect the Senate Minority Leader to go down to the White House and and have a face to face with the President, that uh, that this thing's going to happen, and that they're going to try it on for size. It's like they're going to take it out of the lot. They're going to drive it around for the weekend and see how it feels. They're going to see if, if, if how the government shut down. Which way? Which if, way the wind is blowing on? Which way the wind is blowing? I think that's right. So, um, and it, here's the my feeling about this, and you guys. Uh, have a lot more insight into um, the machinations on the Hill in both chambers. But I really feel like the Democrats have miscalculated severely here. I feel like their credibility is so damaged when you take a look at what happened with the tax legislation and the proclamations that it was going to be devastating to the middle class, that the economy was going to suffer. Hey, guess what? None of that is happening. None of that looks like it's happening. And here you guys are at it again with no credibility on, 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 on your side, and it's just getting worse. They are playing chicken with the wrong guy. They're playing chicken with the wrong guy, and they're playing chicken on a topic, the Dreamers, that has special resonance with their political base. Well, it's an important topic, but tell people – there's no real deadline attended there's, to that. There's right? no real deadline. Yeah, the, the deadline's actually in March for the Dreamers. Yeah. And actually, the, the, the court has ordered that the Dreamers keep getting their applications accepted. So this could go on for a while. So there's no real deadline for the Dreamers. And, you know, that could, that could change anyway. But I do think, uh, John Easton, that Chuck Schumer is trying to show the Dreamers with a short shutdown, and I don't think it'll last more than a weekend, uh, that he's with them and he's fighting for them, which I think he necessarily thinks is necessary to keep that part of his base excited. I think that's true. I, I, I think that's right. I think he also probably doesn't trust uh, the president and, and, and what – I'm sure he doesn't know what to expect walking into, into the Oval Office and really what to expect after he walks out. Yeah. So I, I think there's – Yeah, that's, that's the second part. That right? is the second part. Right. And, and so but, – but this whole thing about who wins – out of this, who loses? I, I really think, and I've always thought this, that, that everybody loses. Now, could you, um, with one of these vulnerable Senate Democrats, a, a Joe Donnelly or a Heidi Heitkamp, if they vote, um, you know, to 
shut to effectively shut down the government. Could you use that in, in some sort of an ad? Uh, perhaps, you know, could you gain in the margins? Perhaps. But honestly, Congress loses, the president loses, the whole institution loses. And, I mean, if you, if you look at, obviously, the approval ratings of Congress and, and uh, the president, they're in the tank. And so this just exacerbates that. Well, this is an interesting fight because this is not necessarily a battle between the president and the Congress. It's a battle between the president and the Democrats in the Congress, which is a little bit of a different thing because Democrats don't really control anything. And what the Democrats are basically saying is, hey, we have no power. You guys are screwing up by not actually, you know, getting this thing done. But actually, it's the Democrats who are stopping it by not providing enough votes to get to the 60-vote margin that's required to move this thing forward. And this is exactly why <clears throat> the, uh, the test drive is going to be an extended test drive. They're going to need to drive it around and figure out whose messaging is winning because we need 60 votes. We don't have 60 votes. Mulvaney was in the press briefing room making these points. The administration was on a full court press this morning doing live interviews and NPR and all of this. And everybody's trying to figure out whether they can break through uh, the zeitgeist and, and connect with people on what's going on here. I, I will say this. This week, while it's coming to this shutdown, showdown um, Friday, has been so rife with unbelievably hyperbolic political uh, theater. Uh, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker. Cory is, he's a mean dude. I'm just, I, I, I really feel like the Democrats are overplaying their hand. And I know you've got some other theories that will broaden this context, but uh, as a Republican, as a political uh, analyst, I feel like they are right out there on the thinnest of ice politically, and I think they've miscalculated Theory two, holy market, Batman. Have you taken a look at your 401k lately? <laughs> the stock market is on fire. It is up over $6.1 trillion in value since Donald Trump became president. This is the best performance of any president since FDR. Here's my theory. If Republicans are able to reach a deal on immigration... And if the Federal Reserve keeps interest rates low, the market will reach 30000 by Election Day. Adam Belmar, I know you're not an economist, uh, but give us your thoughts on why the economy is growing as quickly as it has been and what's likely going to happen in the next six months on it. So, so everyone can kind of base it off of your predictions. That's how they're going to invest. And base your portfolios off. Right. Right. Adam, can you help us out? Yeah. Um, so – what you often hear about uh, predictions and analysis and uh, understanding of the markets is that the people down there, uh, up there in New York, have baked in a lot of their forecasts. And, and, and that means that uh, they saw what was coming and they, they weren't just going to be reactive. They were planning for it. And the president has seen this significant rise in the stock market, and now we're seeing a really robust change in the economy because fundamentals support what the president's been saying. When you, when you lower and make more competitive the tax burden on American companies, wages go up, companies repatriate money to the United States, more jobs, the pie gets bigger. Your slice of a bigger pie is a bigger slice, and people get that. And I think companies are making forecasts based on that, the rollback of regulations. All of this were things that in 
some way and in some part President Obama was warmed to, but they could never get any of it done, less on the regulations. President Trump has been absolutely crystal clear about what he wants. He's making headway. It's going to show up next month in people's paychecks. That's what's driving the good feeling. It's baked in going forward into the second quarter. I think we're just on a wonderful rise, and, and people should be thank, thankful for the American economy's growth. Uh, John Easton, um, do you think that this is going to continue to rise, the stock market, and when is it going to actually accrue some benefit to Donald Trump? <laughs> I do wonder if, if the, the more that Donald Trump brags about being able to uh, produce all of what Adam just talked about uh, – if he actually is going to get any benefit from him telling everybody, I did all this. I, usually presidents are, are a little bit more, they act with a little more a little circumspect, soft, softer tone, yeah. a little more humili- humility. And typically, the you know, economy is good, the president gets the credit, but I mean, the president's out there and he is demanding credit. What, what I found fascinating about this week, uh, to Adam's point about the companies that are, that are coming out and, and they're talking about these gains, and, and, or maybe they're, they're giving out bonuses, was Apple. Yeah, Apple coming out and making a, a, a real strong statement about what they were going to do. They're bringing back this money, and, and this is how much they were probably going to pay in taxes, what, $39 billion or something out, just unbelievable. And it, it, I think it goes to show you, one, they probably didn't want to do that. I don't think they're big fans of Donald Trump politically. But I think that it was a way to bolster their own image. No doubt. Image. No question about it. Come out and say, "Hey, really, we're good guys too. We're we're, we're not we're not avoiding paying taxes, and we're not part of the evil empire. Right. We're, we're we're so that was a fascinating thing. And if Apple's doing it, other companies will probably do it as well. I would imagine not all companies, but some. Adam, one thing I was I was talking to my financial guy today, and he was telling me that um, one of the things that people aren't really tracking because his interest rates have been so low for, for so, so long. long that what's happened is that people don't have CDs anymore. They just invest in the stock market because the rate of return on a CD, you can't get more than 1%. So there's a lot of old people who have just given up on CDs, which were kind of the way that you would kind of get a fixed return. And they're throwing it in the <laughs> stock market, and that's part of the reason why there's so much liquidity in the stock market and why that keeps going up. Is there a bubble? Or is is, is it the fact that the other thing he said was that these companies now have 10% more money than they would have had otherwise because they're not going to spend give that money to the federal government. So they, they're giving some money for buybacks. They're giving some money for, uh, for, for to their shareholders. They're giving bonuses. Um, but they're also going to have much bigger uh, profits, which is why people want to invest in them. I, the, the question you ask is, is there a bubble? Uh, the, the truth is I don't know, but I, I've read a lot about uh, – predictions that there's a sizable correction coming and that's a a reality in in most times where when things come up they go back down and people are playing for the long haul but i i would point back to this realization that in in calendar year 2018 we have companies apple is a great example of what they're doing uh repatriating money and so forth but enormous companies telecommunications companies uh, oil and gas, major infrastructure companies are going to have the benefit of getting investment in the calendar year written off in that very same year. And that is going to have a huge impact on productivity and it's going to have a huge impact on further driving down the unemployment 
And uh, I just think every arrow is going in the right direction. We may have a pullback. We may have a correction in the market. But is there a fundamental bubble in the American economy right now? I don't think so. Well, I don't think so either, given what's happened in the rest of the world. The rest of the world economy is also strengthening, which gives us great opportunity and our company's great opportunity to make money. Uh, John Eason, do you think that this – we talked a little bit about the president. Do you think that this rising uh, economy – will ultimately help Republicans in the election, or do you think that they're going to be in big trouble no matter what? Uh, if they can translate it into something locally, that's, that's hugely beneficial. We had Congressman Roddy Davis on. Uh, this was last week? Yep. Yeah, it was last week. And we talked a lot about his district and the economics and what was happening, and, and he was pretty bullish about some of, the, some of the things he has been seeing, whether it be wages or or um, companies moving in, or expand expansions of those companies, local companies. And I think that if if they can make those connections, you know, really get out there and have these summits and uh, and discussions with companies, with uh, local chambers, and and more in the community, just really community discussions about how this is benefiting their community, and hopefully that it is. Then you can translate it, but to do it from Washington, they expect that that, that a, a Washington success can just dribble back into the into a district or state. They got to really work at it. They got to work at. It. I think they got to work at marketing the tax bill, um, which I think it's been. They've been pretty lucky in how they've marketed this tax bill because all these companies are stepping up to the plate and they're saying we're going to give a bonus. We're going to give, uh, you know, we're we're going to increase wages. We're going to expand. Uh, facilities here in the United States. So that's been a pretty good rollout, Madam Bill Yeah, but it's, 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 it's authentic. It's not like somebody said, we're going to put $10 million into marketing and message testing to sell the, the, the tax deal. No, the companies are realizing a tremendous benefit. They are showing it to shareholders and employees, reinvesting in research development and building on infrastructure. They're taking advantage of of the benefits of a wise decision for policy in the United States. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Do you think that this boom... Oh, plus paychecks. People are going to start seeing this next week, next two weeks. And you know what? A lot of smiling faces. Do you think this boom is going is hitting too quickly to benefit Trump in his election in, in three years? Or do you think um, it'll it'll continue to... And shine brightly for this president. It's hard to predict. What, what do you think? Three years from now in Trump land is like fifty years, dog <laughs> years. I mean, it. it they're gonna, there's so much going to happen between now and then. Who knows? But obviously, if the if the economy keeps purring along, that that is only a benefit to, to Donald Trump. Yeah, I don't see this as being a situation like H. W. Bush, where he was riding this crest of uh, goodwill throughout the world in the United States after Saddam Hussein's incursion into Kuwait in the early 90s, and then it uh, sort of lost all of its energy. I think economic benefit accruing to leadership and policies enacted by President Trump early on are dividends that will continue to be reaped politically in the next three years. This is the best-case scenario for him. Well, especially if companies do begin moving in. Like his, his example about Chrysler moving a plant from Mexico back in the United States – that takes a while to realize those, yeah. those jobs and the economic benefits, and but not three years. So I think that that could be those kinds of things take time to manifest. You know what? Uh, just 
since we're going long on this podcast, and it's obvious to everybody at this point anyway, <laughs> um, I read I read that uh, they're they're talking about really streamlining the moving of the uh, U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem so that they can realize that physical or optics change by perhaps right. next calendar year. They're front-loading everything they possibly yeah, can. Yeah, well, it's just probably pretty smart. One, yeah. one last point on, on the economy and the, why I mentioned immigration. I think one of the biggest problems with the economy really growing is not having enough people in the workforce. And um, This is how John gets to immigration. And so we, we need to have an immigration bill. I know. And we need to deal with the dreamers, but we need to legalize folks, and we need to get people who can uh, – and this is one of the biggest problems that employers have, and one of the things they're most worried about is finding workers who are not on drugs, who are willing to do tough labor and willing to kind of put in the time. And this is the thing I think is a real uh, – why this immigration bill is important, not just for the Democrats, but also for Republicans. I'm going to add one more onto this pile. Yeah, why not? I was reading an article yesterday about Amazon. Uh, maybe it was this morning. About Amazon has narrowed its uh, second headquarters down to 20 cities for, you know, possibility. Talk about a great rollout. I know. These guys are I mean, milking this thing all year. Well, you know, when you're that successful, you can do it. But they talked about, with this second headquarters, 50,000 new jobs mm-hmm. paying over $100,000. Wow. Now that is an economic jolt. Well, you got to find the workers, though. Can't do it without the workers who are willing to put in the time. A lot of hard work at Amazon. Theory three, the road to nowhere. There's been a lot of talk about an infrastructure bill, but thus far, not too much action. Here's my theory. All this talk about shutdowns and immigration is drowning out all the essential work that must be done to get a roads, bridges, broadband, and 5G bill done. I throw this question out to the both of you. Is an infrastructure bill possible this year? And if so, what's it look like? I'm going to go first. Uh, an infrastructure bill is not possible unless it's bipartisan. It is 2018. We are inching closer and closer and closer to primaries and then, of course, the general election in November. Uh, and, and if we can't even get through a continuing resolution to keep the government open. Do you think we can do a massive infrastructure bill that can only get done in a, in a, in a fairly big bipartisan way? Uh, sure, you can ram it in the House, but you've got to – and I know they, I, Chairman Schuster does not want to do it that way. He wants to do it in a bipartisan way. But uh, you can get it through the House, but, boy, the Senate, you know, you're going to have to ha- – it's got to be bipartisan from the get-go or else this thing isn't going anywhere. I mean, the, the White House has – is expected to roll out a 70-page proposal on infrastructure um, sometime this month, and we'll see where that goes. But clock's ticking. It's an infrastructure month, apparently, but you no know, one's talking about infrastructure month because they might be talking about their local roads having lots of potholes. What they're not talking about is Congress doing anything because they're talking about all this other nonsense, and they can't keep the government open, Adam Belmar. I think John's right. Yeah, sadly, <clears throat> I agree, and you know, I, I almost feel like the president jinxed it. You know, when he starts, well, we, we saved that for a second because it's going to be very easy, he said. Um, <clears throat> not so much, sir. Um, I, I do feel that uh, the politics of this, is, as Easton said, requires bipartisanship. We know why. We know what the rules are. But it doesn't make it any less critical that uh, we take the opportunity in combination with some of the other things to start building out uh, – uh, on the infrastructure front, and I like the fact 
that you, that you are pointing towards some of the telecommunications elements of this. Hey, if you're watching and you have dreams of self-driving cars and realizing Elon Musk's vision of a future world, all of that requires an interconnected infrastructure that has huge bandwidth gains in wireless connectivity. We will get none of it unless we streamline these regulations and make this a priority. Well, not only streamline the regulations, but stop the petty thievery of small and local governments that um, everyone wants to get their everyone their wants to get their the, little thing yeah and it's stopping the deployment of stuff necessary for 5g and i tell you you know this is the kind of stuff that drives people crazy they they, they they want their phones to work they want to be able to watch what they want to watch and also to adam your point the internet of things yeah you can't get the internet of things without the internet and you can't get the internet without 5G or 6G or whatever the next generation is. And that all starts with Congress doing something on, on, on federally preempting stupid state and local laws, don't that's you think? Right. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, we've got this unbelievable technology that's either upon us or right around the corner. And yet we've got this outdated methodology of how we, uh, how we execute it, how we implement it. And I think we need to – there's no question we need to update our laws. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one last thing uh, on a prediction scale of one being no freaking way and ten being absolutely it's going to happen, where would you put an infrastructure bill? Um, I'm going to stay hopeful, so I'll put it at a six. Wow. I'm going to put it at a two, and that's being generous. And I also want to point out that Notice on this segment, this is Road to Nowhere. You got that from the Talking Heads. <laughs> and, and, and there is a verse from that song that says, we're not little children and we know what we want and the future is certain. Give us time to work it out. <laughs> well played. Yes, I'm glad when I do things by accident <laughs> seem brilliant in retrospect. Um, it's a three. A little slightly more... Optimistic than than you, but slightly less optimistic than you. But I think that there's a slim chance. But the more they talk about keeping the government open, the less they talk about getting an infrastructure. And I think you're right. Democrats have proven that they can't stomach this president and will not, under any circumstances. Yeah, they don't want to give him a win. And even a win for this country is a loss for the Democrats in terms of you know having acquiesced in the minority to allowing important pieces of legislation and that that bothers me greatly yeah I, I think you're right adam and i think that if we've all been around this uh this town long enough to know an, an infa- something like an infrastructure bill where it passes both houses with a lot of support and and signed by the president with a lot of support from from his administration talk about a win for everybody talk about a win for every single member of congress in the House and the Senate. I mean, everybody. Everybody gets to go home and say, we did something big. This is going to help our district. This is going to help our state. And isn't didn't Congress do something good? Yeah, I don't think that that's where the Democrats want to be. I no, think, they're I, more I, in the, uh, I think the... No sue for you! No sue for you. Um, so, lightning round. Uh, predictions. I, I had an idea for what we should base our predictions on. But if you have other predictions that you want to add on to that, please do. Uh, Adam Belmar, what's going to happen in the general election in November? Will the Republicans maintain control of the House? Will uh, 
they lose control of the Senate or vice versa? What do you think? Well, the magic number in the House is 24, a net positive uh, of 24 seats for the Democrats takes the day. Um, And a lot of the predictions that I've read out there put the Democrats at about 27. We know about a lot of retirements. I think that the House is in serious jeopardy at this time. And uh, as far as the Senate's concerned, you've got a two-vote margin, 34 seats up. 26 of those are Democrats defending, um, including a number of Democrats in uh, states that uh, overwhelmingly went for President Trump. You've got the loss of Al Franken. I think the Senate's a toss-up, but uh, I like the Republicans' odds of holding on to the Senate. John Eason. Uh, I... It's very difficult, obviously, to see. Again, this is a a marathon in November. But right now, the the generic ballot, which, of course, asks people what, not a specific candidate, but a party, which would you prefer uh, in your district or state, uh, has Democrats of 11. And that is far more than it usually is, even in a midterm election where a president's party usually loses seats. So, uh, and because of the style of this president, I don't think that's necessarily going to change. I don't think it's, it's going to be a wave, but I do think that the, um, I think the, the Democrats pick up 36 and uh, will control the House unless something pretty dramatic changes. I don't, I think the economy You think will, it's as high as 36? Yeah, I do. And I, I think that, um, I think the economy will continue to do well, but I, I think that uh, there won't be enough to offset what people – the House is so much more emotional body than, mm-hmm. the, than the Senate. And it obviously is that reactive result. And I think, I think Americans are going to react and give the, give the House to the, to the Democrats. I think in the Senate, it's 50-50, and Mike Pence breaks the tie and keeps the Republicans in the majority. Uh, I hate to tell you – both this, but you're both wrong. Uh, we lose five House seats. We gain five uh, Senate seats, Republicans. Republicans maintain control. The The theory of the case of impeachment, repealing the corporate tax rate, and returning everyone to the individual mandate is not a campaign theme that Democrats can win on. Redistricting is too tough to overcome for the Democrats. And there's 10 seats, uh, or actually there's 12 to 13 seats, in states that um, uh, Donald Trump won, uh, in, in red states that the, where the Democrats are up, uh, and we're going to win in places that people don't expect. I bet you that we beat Lou Barletta, beats uh, Casey in, in Pennsylvania. And I bet you that we do better in Minnesota than people think. And uh, I think that this is going to be a tough sledding. Can I just Democrats. probe that prediction for one second? The question I have for you, John Fury, is haven't we learned in the last number of months how critical candidates are in all of this? And so I'm wondering uh, how you get to plus six in the Senate or plus five in the Senate. Well, I think Dean Heller wins. Uh, I think he wins his primary and he's he's able to win because there's not a great candidate in Nevada taking him on. I think the Arizona State seats, uh, Kelly Ward and – Joe Arpaio yeah. are going to knock each other out, and McSally is going to win that that seat uh, to replace Jeff Flake. Um, I think that um, um, we got a pretty good candidate in Missouri uh, who, against McCaskill, who's in big trouble. I think that we're going to have a good candidate in Indiana. I think it's uh, I, I think it's Messer who's running, or maybe Rokita. I'm not sure who. 
but one of those guys. Um, and they're they're going to be in good good shape in in Indiana against Joe Donnelly. I think, like I said, I think that Barletta is going to be a lot stronger than people think uh, against Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Uh, I think that um, Ohio uh, is still trending um, pro Trump, and, and they need to get a better candidate. Uh, the, their, um, Josh Mandel uh, just dropped out. Renazzi, Renacci, Renacci. Can't say his name right. Did you say Nazi by Renacci? Renacci is no, I don't think so. Renacci is, is running uh, now for go- for the, was running for governor, but now running for for the Senate. I think he'll be a very strong candidate. Uh, so I think, and I think that in uh, Florida, if Rick Scott runs, um, that is going to be very very uh, tough for Bill Bill Nelson, who's basically asleep at the switch in in Florida. So there's a lot of places okay. where. Um, where Republicans can do well. Now, that's all predicated on the economy growing and the Republicans getting credit for the economy growing and all this kind of angst um, kind of subside. And that might be a – that might be a, a lot of ifs, a lot of coulds. A lot mm-hmm. of ifs. But that's why it's hard to predict, and that's why we're predicting right now. Right. One final prediction, uh, who is going to win the Super Bowl? John Easton. <laughs> I haven't even thought about that yet. Uh, I would say uh, it's not going to be Jacksonville. I'm going to go out on a limb and predict that Tom Brady will lead America to greatness again and the Patriots. And by the way, if you take a look at the 2015 practice squad roster, Adam Belmar listed 6'3", 239. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Thank you. Um, Very good. It's going to be Minnesota in a big surprise. Mm, that's not I think that uh, they're destined because of that amazing uh, – Amazing last-minute, last-second catch, the, the destiny for the Minnesota Vikings. Wow. And I think that Brady's hand is hurt, so I think they're out. I think that that's Belichick having fun with all of us. You might be right. But it can't be Brady. I'm so sick of the Patriots. Sick of the Patriots. I'm sorry, all my friends. Tover Cushman, I hope you're watching. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the Fury Theory podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent, excellent for, for business. business. Yeah, yeah baby. baby.